Hey everyone, you're listening to Cinema 5000. I am Mallory, your host, of course, here to talk to you about films I have recently seen. Uh, we're currently at 5,080 movies. That's not to say I've seen, like, a dozen movies. I've actually only seen 10 movies since the last episode. Uh, but, like, I, uh, I've had some time to myself to just hang out and watch some movies, and luckily... Almost all of the things I've seen recently are movies that I watched for the first time. Uh, a number of notable films, I will say. Uh, I, uh, I didn't get to the theater at all <laughs> for any of these movies, um, but some of them are notable and some you might not have heard of, so let's get started. Uh, earlier this month, February, that is, I was lucky enough to discover that a movie I had seen part of uh, last year, late last year, was actually available on streaming. Uh, so I got to check out the movie Niagara, which is from 1953, directed by Henry Hathaway. The uh, tagline is, a raging torrent of emotion that even nature can't control. And the summary goes like this. Rose Loomis and her older, gloomier husband, George, are vacationing in a cabin in Niagara Falls, New York. The couple befriend Polly and Ray Cutler, who are honeymooning in the area. Polly begins to suspect that something is amiss between Rose and George, and her suspicions grow when she sees Rose in the arms of another man. While Ray initially thinks Polly is overreacting, <laughs> uh... Things between George and Rose soon take a shockingly dark turn. And a notable thing to say here, this stars Marilyn Monroe as Rose Loomis, and Joseph Cotton plays her husband, George Loomis. It also stars Jean Peters as Polly Cutler, and Max Showalter as Ray Cutler. Unfortunately, Niagara is not necessarily a very notable film, other than the presence of Miss Marilyn Monroe, who is beautiful and very intriguing, and if you didn't know any better, you'd think this might be like a failed Hitchcock movie, but instead it's just a failed Henry Hathaway movie. It's not that exciting, it's kind of flat, and it feels pretty long for 90-ish minutes, um, but I'm glad I got to finish it, because I hadn't hadn't finished it. <laughs> um, and it is interesting to see how Niagara Falls is framed and shot, especially since uh, as I grew to know Niagara Falls as a kid, like I grew up in upstate New York and we went to Niagara Falls when I was a child. I never thought of it as any kind of romantic destination, but it absolutely was for people back in the day. And if you'll recall, uh, I believe back in like episodes of Mad Men, it was recalled as like a destination for someone's honeymoon. I want to say it was Pete and Trudy. I could be wrong about that. But uh, <laughs> uh, Niagara isn't great, but I uh, I don't want to say it's terrible. Like if you come across it and you're interested in seeing Marilyn Monroe as sort of a seduct seductress in her early parts of the career. Actually, this isn't very early. It's 1953. But uh, if you want to see Marilyn Monroe in a role where she really stands out from everybody else, I would recommend it on that basis. I gave it two and a half stars out of five because I just don't think it's a great movie because there's just not a lot going on with it. But uh, I didn't hate it. Uh, yeah, you could do worse. That's Niagara from 1953, directed by Henry Hathaway. 
Another movie that I got to watch that I uh, I actually had never seen any of this movie, like not a single frame. I don't even think I saw the trailer. I just knew the poster of this movie because it came out when I was a small child and I remember uh, it being in the newspaper. I used to always look at the newspaper printouts for movie show times and the little poster things that have in the paper, the little, you know, little column bits that would say like, you know, so-and-so says this is amazing or whatever, but the movie, uh, I just, I never saw it. It came out on video. I remember the poster. The poster was the same in the theaters as it was in the, on the VHS, and I do believe the VHS itself had the same cover, so uh, the movie in question is I Love Trouble from 1994, directed by Charles Shire. The tagline is, romance was never more dangerous. Rival Chicago reporters Sabrina Peterson and Peter Brackett joined for Forces to uncover a train wreck conspiracy. This one, uh, I gave it two and a half out of five stars. I didn't love it, but there was something really great about this movie and the sort of feeling it gave me of like this mid 90s kind of flair of these two actors getting together who the movie wants to set up as like getting together, but they don't want to get together, if you know what I mean, because they just no, it's supposed to be a, you know, a back and forth, like, I don't like you, I don't like you, but there's nothing funny about this movie, and I think that's the big mistake. Now, it stars Nick Nolte as Peter Brackett and Julia Roberts as Sabrina Peterson, and while I say I enjoyed this movie to some degree, <laughs> they do not have chemistry, <laughs> uh, and it's not shocking that I read that they did not get along on set and hated each other. Yeah, it wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I, nobody should be surprised by that. They just seemed like two, two totally different actors. Like Julia Roberts is very sunny and knows how to, you know, hit the mark and like take the spotlight. And then you've got Nick, Tol Nick Nolte, who's like trying to be Mr. Everyman, but also kind of a tough guy to some degree. And oh no, I can definitely see how the conflict would happen there and how they just wouldn't really get along. And, and in the end, predictably, they get together, but they're also still rivals in some way, but there's just nothing funny and cute about their relationship. Um, it almost works at times, but it's not great. But I will say for a movie that is so at odds with its leads uh, and has a story that maybe is, it could have been a little tighter. Like it could have been, like this could have been 100 minutes instead. It's like 123 minutes. So it's a little long in the tooth, but um, it was great seeing a movie that was set in Chicago and actually filmed in Chicago because I went to college in Chicago for two years and it's just one of my favorite cities to not only like look at, but just also seeing it in film and how it's shot and how things are framed is always exciting for me. Uh, this also stars Saul Rubinick, James Rabhorn, uh, Robert Loggia, and Kelly Rutherford, as well as Olympia Dukakis. They all don't really have big parts because it's all about Nick Nolte and Julia Roberts. Um, but I Love Trouble, I watched on Hoopla. It was available for streaming. It's not a great movie, like I said, but uh, I think it has the sort of 90s feel that feels nostalgic and really like comforting the way it's framed and shot. And I will say this movie was rated PG, but it should, really should have been PG-13. I don't know how they got away with it. But that's I Love Trouble from 1994, directed by Charles Shire. Now, <laughs> this next movie uh, would actually, i now that I think of it, it would probably make a good double feature with Niagara, like a movie that's not really Hitchcock, but definitely wants to be and isn't really that great. 
and has a main blonde lady who's the um, seductress to some degree. <laughs> um, this is Final Analysis, directed by Phil Jean... Janu. Okay, so the tagline is someone was seduced, someone was set up, and before it was all over, someone was dead. A psychiatrist becomes romantically involved with the sister of one of his patients, but the influence of her controlling gangster husband threatens to destroy them both. Uh, I don't know about that last part, but, but basically Richard Gere is uh, the psychiatrist for a character who's played by Uma Thurman named Diana. And Diana says, oh, you should start seeing my sister, Heather. And Heather is played by Kim Basinger. And Kim Basinger, or Basinger, um, <laughs> she's married to Jimmy, who's played by Eric Roberts. And when Eric Roberts comes on screen, you know this guy's days are numbered. There's just nothing good going to come of him because he is, he is bad. And he causes problems for Heather. And that's why she falls very quickly for Isaac, who's the psychiatrist played by Richard Gere. So Kim Basinger, Bassinger, as Heather, um, she's all right. Uma Thurman as Diana, she's all right. Richard Gere, he's okay. Eric Roberts really is the only person of note here. And unfortunately, you know, he's not in the entire film. This wants to be very Hitchcockian. I was kind of bored by this. It didn't didn't give me a lot to really, I don't know. It had some twists and turns here, twists and turns that just didn't come together all the way for me. And it kind of made the film boring because it wants to do all these things and the way it does it isn't really, wasn't really great for watching as an audience member, unfortunately. I only gave this two stars. It's from 1992 directed by, I know I'm butchering this last name, directed by Phil Jaunou. Um, Yeah, final analysis. I don't recommend it. <laughs> but if you want to watch a movie that's a failed Hitchcock wannabe kind of thing, just like Niagara, this is the movie for you. It doesn't look bad either. Um, yeah, it's weird to think that like this and I Love Trouble are both 90s and they are just filmed so differently but you know kind of within a couple years of each other and this is just the way the movies were in the 90s and you know this is not this is not like not exactly an erotic thriller I will say that too because I really love an erotic thriller because it's like the genre as a kid that I was like aware of and very much like oh boy these people are dirty and bad and somebody's gonna die maybe <laughs> um this is almost one of those movies almost it's a little more reserved and it actually reminds me of the movie body of evidence which had madonna and willem dafoe which is way more of an erotic thriller than this movie is and it's not good either <laughs> but i would al almost recommend a uh, body of evidence over final analysis just because it is so similar in its idea of like this dame to kill for kind of thing and the guy who falls for her when he shouldn't you know but final analysis from 1992 don't recommend it uh let's move on uh another film i watched now this one i did watch on canopy it's five times two from 2004 directed by francois ozon it doesn't have a tagline but it says as young French couple Gilles and Marion officially separate, we see in reverse order the milestone moments in their relationships. Gilles is revealing his unfaithfulness at a tense party, Marion giving birth to their premature son while Gilles is elsewhere, Gilles and Marion's joyous wedding, and finally the fateful moment when they meet as acquaintances at an Italian beach resort 
and their love affair as it begins. I was very disappointed by this movie. It felt like such a dated kind of concept because there's been so many movies uh, over the years, not just movies that are foreign, but also American movies that try to dissect relationships between people. And uh, another movie this reminded me of was The Story of Us, directed by Rob Reiner with uh, Bruce Willis and Michelle Pfeiffer not a good movie. <laughs> this is a little bit better, but there's some beats to this movie that just feel kind of flat, like the entire sequence with Jules being like not around for the birth of his son. It just feels like it's a it's a it's an affront to Marion like for no reason. You don't you just don't understand it. Um and then something happens to Marion like around the time that they uh, are getting married and it just feels like another attack and in the very very beginning of this movie too there is a very awful encounter between the couple as they're divorcing that it just is uncalled for like there's so much brutality that happens to this poor character Marion and it feels like the movie doesn't really understand why this is happening it's just kind of like oh well you know she's she's the tortured wife but it's like who wants to see that it's it's really uh really off color and not really enjoyable. I can see how someone would want to watch this movie though because you've got this attractive couple and it's like, oh, well, how did their romance fall apart? And for what this is, it's just not, it's not really a successful film. And I just felt so bad for Marion, the way she was treated, not just like the actress, but just like this character and what she's supposed to represent. So I don't recommend Five Times Two from Francois Ozon. I've have I have liked a couple of his films, but I think overall, like some of them are just like just a, they leave a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth, and just not for me. Um, I gave this two stars out of five. Like it's not really a bad film, but oh, it's just icky. <laughs> Um, yeah, and uh, I I do like a movie that dissects a relationship between a couple in any context, but this just, no, does not, not so great. Uh, something a little different, I, I kind of reluctantly watched this movie. <laughs> um, I, uh, I had started watching it at one point on Shudder, and then I went back into my Shudder app on my uh, little streaming device and it wouldn't quit so I just finished watching <laughs> uh this is Lux Eterna from 2019 directed by Gaspar Noe uh no tagline but it says two actresses Beatrice Dalle and Charlotte Gainsbourg are on a film set telling stories about witches and this is really not much of a movie I will say it feels like an experiment because it's sort of talking about the destruction of the filmmaking process and on set and backstage and conflict it's not for everybody oh no and I will say this is only 51 minutes long so it's as much as it's like a thing that you might get into and then maybe be disappointed by <laughs> there's not a lot of investment in it uh besides Charlotte Gainsbourg and Beatrice Dalle um there is Abby Lee and Carl Glusman who are in the film and they show up and have little things they say here and there and interactions um this is on Shudder it's if it, I was thinking this would be like more of like the actual story of what they're trying to do like the witch thing but it's no it's all behind the scenes uh but the overall impact and like what Gaspar Noe does is like wants to give he wants to give his audiences like uh I want to say a painful experience <laughs> with lights and flashing and uh an experimental manner like it's offbeat um 
Yeah, I want to say a little avant-garde too. This does that in the end, and I thought that was like successful and what his overall impact is like trying to be as far as how awful it is to make stuff like this, but I will say this is like something I give three stars, but I also don't recommend to anybody because uh, that's just the way his movies are. Uh, Gaspar Noé is like a really difficult filmmaker, I will say, when it comes to his projects and what he's trying to tell you. And uh, oh no, I uh, I think if you've seen one of his movies, you'll know immediately if he's someone for you or not. And I always go into his films being like, okay, what are we going to do, guys? <laughs> um, I'm open-minded, but also a little afraid. <laughs> but that's Lux Eterna from 2019, uh, directed by Gaspar Noé, which I did say I had watched on the streaming service Shutter. All right, moving on. Uh, something I did intend to watch when I started, for sure was the 2022 film To Leslie, directed by Michael Morris. No tagline, but a West Texas single mother wins the lottery and squanders it just as fast, leaving behind a world of heartbreak. Years later, with her charm running out and nowhere to go, she fights to rebuild her life and find redemption. I had to watch this movie because of the story around it these days, which is how on earth did Andrea Riseborough get a Best Actress Oscar nomination at the Academy Awards this year over people like Daniel Deadweiler and Till and Viola Davis in The Woman King. So there was a big campaign that happened for this very small movie that had made literally only like $30,000 in theaters. So the uh, the story online the week before the Oscar nominations were due as far as ballots for people who are voting the Academy for the to decide who the nominees are. Um, there was a very big campaign where certain celebrities and famous peoples like Kate Winslet were going online and praising Andrew Riseborough and Jennifer Aniston tweeted stuff about Andrew Riseborough. And it was very coordinated and very familiar because almost everything people were saying, either in tweets or online discussions that were from famous folks, was the same kind of wording. And so people on the internet right before the Oscar nominations were just like, well, how on earth could Andrea Riseborough get a nomination? But she did. She did. She did. Um, <laughs> I'm not so concerned with the campaign because I am not a Hollywood person. I can't say, you know, Things are guaranteed. It is too bad, in my opinion, that Viola Davis did not get another nomination uh, for Best Actress because I loved her in The Woman King. Uh, I haven't seen Till yet with Daniel Deadweiler, did Daniel Deadweiler to see what her performance is like, and I am interested in seeing that soon. But I will say, just on the basis of what To Leslie is as a film, it is a kind of standard indie story about someone struggling, um, in particular, Andrew Riseborough's character, Leslie. She's an alcoholic, and she really struggles to keep it together. She's getting by, like, with a suitcase in her hand. She is, she's, she's going through it. She's having a lot of problems, and anybody who wants to give her a chance might regret it as far as helping her out. So what she ends up doing is finding her way to a little motel on the side of the road in Texas and ends up lucking into a job and does she need another chance can she keep it together is she capable of doing work uh i will say the story itself is not not entirely interesting not entirely original but andrea riseborough did the thing i have come to recognize in almost all her work which is give a very memorable and solid performance like i have always thought she was really 
really incredible actor and it doesn't surprise me she got an oscar nomination i mean the way it happened is a little surprising and a little like huh this movie why this now but i will say when the years go by and people think about this nomination i don't think people will say well she was terrible you know the campaigning thing in the oscars is something i really don't like in that you have to have money to in order to get a nomination you have to get the right people involved and so that's where you know folks can be the victor in their nomination and maybe not it's not, it's not the oscars are an industry thing it's not about truly what is the best it's what the oscars will you know, taken for however things are marketed and who's ever's going to like buy it and who's ever going to vote for it, whatever. It's a whole separate thing from what, you know, I look for in films and actors and performances. And I'm not really happy with a lot of the Oscar nominations this year, but for what this movie is, setting everything aside with the campaign and such, I do think this is a really solid performance by Andrea Riseborough, and I do recommend the film. I give it three stars. Like I said, it's kind of standard indie film kind of stuff. Like, this is not, this is not an original character. We've seen other characters like this in movies, especially independent films that maybe played at Sundance or other places, but I do think what you get in this film that you don't get in those other films is someone like Andrea Riseborough, who is a really captivating screen presence, and I, I definitely think she's somebody who, you know, it was inevitable she would get an Oscar nomination someday, um, but I, I do recommend it. I don't think it's a excellent film, but you know, for what it is, it's it's not bad. So three stars for Two Leslie from 2022, directed by Michael Morris. Uh, so moving on, another film, another film I've seen. <laughs> Very different. This is Sister, Sister from 1987, directed by Bill Condon. The tagline is, Love Kills. A congressional aide, played by Eric Stoltz, explores an old Louisiana mansion. Two kooky sisters, Jennifer Jason Lee and Judith Ivy, run as a guest house. I don't have a lot to say about this movie because um, the story is a little quirky and weird because Judith Ivy is like basically looking after her younger sister, Jennifer Jason Lee, and trying to take care of her and keep her away from men, specifically Eric Stoltz's character. Um, and this is a southern horror gothic film. You can watch it right now on Hoopla or on Tubi for streaming services. Um, it's not it's not really interesting. It's not really new or anything. It's from 1987. So you can't expect a movie like this to have anything like truly groundbreaking. But I will say I, I enjoyed it. I for something that was just about 90 minutes and a little bit of a kind of throwback to the 80s and the way it was shot and the story and the characters. I enjoyed it. I, uh, I gave it three stars on Letterboxd, <laughs> um, and it has some supernatural elements to it. Um, it is a little disturbing when you find out why exactly the sister, older sister played by Judith Ivy, is like looking after her younger sister. It is, it's, it's, yeah. But um, for a late '80s horror film that has some notable actors in it uh you could do worse <laughs> um yeah it's a little it's 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 intriguing it's kind of spooky like i said and uh the ending isn't really 
it's not a surprise. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. That's Sister Sister from 1987, directed by Bill Condon. And I will say, uh, Bill Condon has directed a number of films I don't care for, like the live-action Beauty and the Beast remake, I think, from 2017. But, but... He was the writer and I think director as well. He, did he direct it? I gotta look it up. Um, yes, he did direct it. The film from 1998 called Gods and Monsters with Ian McKellen and Brendan Fraser. I absolutely recommend that. That is a great film, like really interesting. It talks about an actor who was in like uh, he will, he was the director of, um, like horror films like Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. I think it's based on like an actual person. I can't remember. I'm just looking up something really quick, but, um, I'm not going to go over it and look, do all the research, but, uh, if Sister Sister works for you, uh, definitely check out Gods and Monsters, also written and directed by Bill Condon. And Bill Condon actually won an Oscar for writing that film. Now, the time has come, everybody. I have finally seen Olive Skinnamarink. Yes, you guys, you may have heard. It's the new film directed by Kyle Edward Ball. And as I mentioned before, I'm a Shudder subscriber. That's how I watched Lux Eterna. So I watched Skinnamarink the other night in full, in the dark, at home. <laughs> and let's revisit the synopsis. Two children wake up in the middle of the night to find their father is missing, and all the windows and doors in the home have vanished. So, from my theatrical experience, I have seen 40 minutes, <laughs> 40 minutes of Skin and Break, and now that I've seen the whole thing, uh, the one funny thing to me is that the part where I was sure that there was going to be um, like a jump scare right when the fire alarm went off in the theater, <laughs> when I saw the movie, there was no jump scare. The camera literally just sat there for like a couple minutes and I was just like, okay, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. And nothing happened. <laughs> and then it just panned away and did something else. But it's the same, same thing. Just like, it's kind of like a bump in the night, the entire movie. Um, and overall, like this is a hard movie to like explain other than what I have already explained but it's just man it's just the lights are out the entire camera work is fuzzy and weird and you're in these rooms and you don't know what's going on and the children don't know what's going on and there's just whispering like this from little kids and uh there's uh, there's a couple moments that are trying to like spook you out um uh, but I don't think Skin and Break is entirely successful. It's a kind of a one and done. Like you watch it once, you don't need to watch it again. I give it two and a half stars out of five. Um, I think this is a movie I can recommend to certain people. Like if you're interested in horror films and you have patience, because I do think this is a little too long for what it is. It could have been a really solid like 80 minutes, but instead it's 100 minutes. It kept going. Like from the, when I got to the part where I had seen it in the theater and it just kept going and going and I was kind of disappointed because, man, for what that 40 minutes was, watching it in the theater, I almost want to say that was more enjoyable than watching the movie in the full, like at home, unfortunately. Yeah, wow. Uh, and you know what? You could technically, you could technically make a shorter version of Skinnamarink and not lose anything because there are just too many moments where the camera just hangs on something and you can't really see what's going on and it might not be because there's something that's going to happen no because it's going to switch to something else and maybe something may or may not happen in that moment too there's a lot of buildup, and I think the editing for it and how it builds up things does and does not work for it 
Um, yeah, so Skin of Marink, I gave it two and a half out of five stars. I don't recommend it for everybody, but I will say turning all the lights off in the house and then sort of just zoning in on what the movie was, even though there were no surprises for me because of my prior experience, that could be a good time for some folks. So as I said, Skin of Marink, directed by Kyle Edward Ball. You can watch that at home right now on Shudder, the streaming service. And now, so <laughs> Empire of Light, Empire of Light, the 2022 film directed by Sam Mendes. So, man, this was a movie I I sort of wanted to go see in the theater and I just didn't. It didn't work out when I sort of had like the idea of like, oh, I should go see that. Like now it just didn't work out with timing. Um, the tagline is film, an illusion of life. And the summary goes like this, a love story set in and around an old cinema on the south coast of England in the 1980s. But is this really a love story though? That's the thing. Um, Sam Mendes, as you may or may not know, has made movies such as American Beauty, A Road to Perdition. Uh, he did Skyfall and Spectre for Bond films. Um, and he did the movie Away We Go that was sort of a romantic kind of comedy road trip film. And this is allegedly his love letter to uh, his mother and his love of cinema and where he grew up to some degree as far as like I barely skimmed about it. Um, but uh, he wrote this film and I don't think Sam Mendes should write any other films <laughs> because this is supposed to be a love story between the lead uh, Olivia Coleman, whose character is named Hillary. And this man, Stephen, who's played by um, Michael Ward. And they don't have any chemistry together. And they all of a sudden just get together. And I'm just kind of like, huh, okay. Well, they work in a movie theater, theater together. And this film is supposed to be about the love of cinema to some degree. But I just don't think it had any of that. It, it's just, my voice is going up because I'm like kind of confused about what this movie was really truly about. It feels... I feel so strangely unfocused. Like, is this movie about the Hillary character? Full stop. Not really. Is it about the uh, Stephen character? Full stop. Not really. It doesn't really have a focus about which character this is really truly about. And as it gets into their relationship, it just feels like it's at a distance. It doesn't really invest in like what their emotional impact is together we most don't get glimpses of like who they are together and what things they do and when Hillary starts to have problems in her life um it all feels very forced and not not very how do I say it it's just it's just strange the way this movie is set up and uh it wants to yeah like it says it wants to be about the love of movies but I just didn't get that at all and like at best at best, this is just about, like, conflict between people, and they work in this workspace, and it just so happens to be a movie theater. It doesn't feel like there's any passion in here, and about the only thing this film is really passionate about is just how it looks. Like, this is cinematography by Roger Deakins, who is one of the greats. Like, thankfully, Roger Deakins has really been picking up the awards in, like, the last is it five years or so? Like Blade Runner 2049, he finally got the Oscar for cinematography and then he got it for 1917, which I didn't care for, which he also did with Sam Mendes. But, you know, this movie is so disappointing in its script and it's just inability to really get me, the viewer, involved and like 
invested in these people that all I had to do was just look at it. And thankfully, it wasn't too bad to look at. But what a disappointment. Like, I can roll with any dramatic film that has characters who I don't enjoy, which we'll talk about in the very next film. Um, no problem. But for what Empire of Light is and maybe wants to be, it feels like it just doesn't have any idea how to convey that very well. And it's it's really too bad. But I will say Sam Mendes has just never been a filmmaker that I've really, really jived with. Um, and like I... He did do Revolutionary Road with Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio, and I did, I did like that film, but I didn't love it. And I think, I think just ever since like American Beauty, um, his pictures just just aren't for me. <laughs> I remember liking American Beauty a lot when it first came out. I don't, I have no idea how that feels now as a film to me. Not sure I even want to go down that road of watching it again. Um, and I think Skyfall is probably, I guess, in the sense of who I am now as a person, I might say that is his most successful film, um, start to finish storytelling, whatever, but man, Empire Light, this was, this was a downer. <laughs> um, I, I can't even say like, oh yeah, to my mom who might enjoy someone like Olivia Coleman, watch it because I just think she'd be disappointed and kind of bored. And this movie, this movie is 115 minutes and it feels so long and just unfocused and looks great, but whoa, well, not for me. Not a good film. Um, but yeah, Empire of Light. Um, eh, Empire of Light from 2022. Directed by Sam Mendes. Oh boy, I gave it one and a half stars out of five. Uh, there's some other things about the story I'm just not going to bring up now. And I'm just not even... I No, it's not worth it. <laughs> and like I said, um, stories about people who may or may not be so great to spend time with. You know, I'm not... I, I'm not someone who needs my characters to be likable. I'll say that up front. Like, I can I can watch any movie about the most terrible person imaginable. They don't even need a redemption arc. As long as what I'm watching, like, gives me something to enjoy, for better or worse. Um, but Corsage from 2022 is most definitely a movie about a character who's just not really having the best time. It's directed by Maria Marie Kreutzer. It doesn't have a tagline, but it says the fictional account of one year in the life of Empress Elizabeth of Austria. On Christmas Eve, 19, excuse me, 1877, Elizabeth, once idolized for her beauty, turns 40 and is officially deemed an old woman. She starts trying to maintain her public image, and in doing such, she really just doesn't give a fuck about anybody and starts to become a little bit bratty, and I say, yeah, go girl, whatever, be be whoever you want to be, sleep whoever you want to sleep with, not your husband, who cares, whatever. Um, I will say the first hour of this, I was like kind of into it and just like, yeah, okay, whatever. She's she's just doing her own thing. She's sort of rolling with the punches, figuring out like who she wants to be because of what has happened to her now that she has turned this age. Um, but I think this movie doesn't know how to finish a thought. Uh, it is two hours long. It is, well, it's 114 minutes, whatever. Um, I just think Vicky Creeps, who plays um, Empress Elizabeth, like, she's good. I like, I like her on screen. You may know her from the movie Phantom Thread, where she plays Alma. 
the muse of Reynolds Woodcock played by Daniel Day-Lewis um and in this movie like she she can wear a dress she looks great and everything like costuming in this movie is really exquisite it is beautifully photographed but I think the weakness of the script and what its final conclusion is as well as the directing for this the directing ooh, this movie could have used a little punch here and there maybe a little more humor it ultimately kind of is a bit one note and didn't really work for me and it's too bad because this is a character I could definitely get on board with especially since I like Vicky Crepes but um no just kind of flat not really enticing exciting anything not really sexy not really like I, I just mean sexy in the sense of like people having fun and being attractive not in the sense that she has to be necessarily attractive because she's definitely a beautiful woman and the 40 year old thing you know I I'm almost that age so I I feel her you know you know I get it girl um <laughs> but no this just didn't didn't quite work for me. I'm so disappointed because I was really looking forward to this. Like I almost made like a couple attempts to go drive like an hour to a theater and go see it and just was kind of like, no, it's going to be on streaming soon. Like everything is a bit of a disappointment. That's Corsage directed by Marie Kreutzer, a 2022 film that is now available for like a $6.99 rental. It's an IFC release. You can find it yourself. Um, but this I will say, even though I gave it two stars out of five, this is a movie I can just see a lot of people just enjoying for what it is trying to say about this character, and I don't blame you. Like, who wouldn't want to get on board with that woman sort of going against the grain and doing what she wants? But, uh, yeah, not so successful for me, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so that's whoa, that's the episode. Um, I uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, new movies coming out soon. Um, I will say I, uh, I wanted to go see a certain new movie about men being dancers, maybe being a little magical. Didn't quite happen for me tonight. I'll be seeing it soon, but that will be on the next episode. And like I said, um, we're at 5,080 films seen. And another thing to mention, um, we're almost to the one year anniversary of the podcast. We're just about a week away. I am so excited for <laughs> this special episode that I am hopefully going to be able to do soon for you guys. Um, you'll know it when you hear it. I'll have that be the anniversary special, regardless of when it comes out, just because it's a project. And getting motivated for a project has been a little difficult for me. It's not the same as the days of college when I just pound a bunch of Diet Cokes and lock myself in my room. Oh no. It's a little different now that I'm older <laughs> and uh, kind of have things I need to do. But, you know, in prep for the anniversary episode, there's specific movies I need to watch. But when that episode comes out, you guys are going to be really, I really hope, um, happy and excited and really enjoy it. And I hope you enjoyed this episode too. Because, um, yeah, I love doing this. I love doing this podcast. Uh, as I have mentioned before, it's something that I always wanted to do and didn't quite know how to do. And now that we're coming up on almost a year of the podcast and absolutely hitting the 5,000 number, no problem. Um, it's great. This is my little contribution to the world, the way that I can talk about movies and share with you my thoughts and feelings for better or worse. And now that people listen to it, um, yeah, it doesn't matter to me that I've had really... <laughs> it doesn't matter to me that I've had hundreds of listens here and there, but the fact that I've reached any kind of audience is just great and cool and awesome and I thank you so much 
as I always say, thank you for listening. Um, and if you want to check out the, uh, the um, Letterboxd, you can go to Letterboxd and look up Mallory with three M's, M-M-M-A-L-L-O-R-Y. So you can spoil yourself but with the diary entries that I write and little reviews here and there of what I've been seeing. But you can also follow along on Twitter and Instagram. That's Cinema5K. That's the handle on Twitter and Instagram uh, to see what kinds of things I'm posting here and there. Obviously, Instagram is pictures, but there's little updates about the episodes there. And the Twitter has little thoughts here and there. And I also, from time to time, do record a little voice message about what I'm maybe trying to see, thoughts on anything whatever's going on. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And I will talk to you later about what other things I see. Thanks. Bye.